0: The Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pine. I'm Sarah Pine, your host. And today we have Nikki Lally, LPN, founder of Nikki and the Plant. She is an advocate speaker, and I am just so excited to have you here. Thank you, Nikki, for joining me today. Absolutely, Sarah. Super pumped to be here. So... You have a story about how you got into cannabis. I want to hear it. I do. And I do. Coming from, I'm 52.
1: So, coming from the just say no era, I was never really a strong advocate at all for cannabis. So, for me to be here talking about cannabis with you on a podcast is if you would have told me five years ago this is what I'd be doing, I would say, yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Like there's no way you would have ever convinced me this is my new life. Um, about five years ago, going on six, I was injured while working as a pediatric nurse in Buffalo, New York. A uh, child did not want a vaccine and pretty much became combative and I got behind him and he headbutted me <gasps> and threw me into the wall and back into his head. It was a fluke, crazy accident that you never could have prepared for. It was just literally one second my life changed. Um, Immediately I had numbness, tingling down my left arm. Immediately I was super pissed off for lack (laughs) of a better term. I mean, this kid literally assaulted me. And I mean, he was 10, he wasn't like two. It It was like a little linebacker coming after you because it just happened so quick there was just no reaction time and i mean i've this was not my first rodeo so mm-hmm. many kids have not wanted vaccines before but this was just how i was hit and how it happened completely changed
0: my life that kid must have had a quick, hell of a noggin he didn't get hurt i did <laughs> um He
1: just, he was promised um, iPads to get the shot. He was promised cell phone time. He was promised new game on Xbox. You know, it wasn't like this is part of life and deal with the shot. Mm -hmm. Instead, it was created like this reward. And then the kid freaked out when the dad said, no, we're not going to Target. We're not getting that, whatever the thing was. And I was like, Do you not see the problem here? (laughs) This child is completely controlling the adults. And again, I was too pissed off to really be considering that, but you know, in reflection afterwards. um, So that was the last day I worked. That was 10, 11, 2016. The last day I worked as a pediatric nurse in a very large uh, pediatric practice here. Um, I went through the trials and tribulations of multiple doctors and my symptoms were really significant uh these included like chronic pain seven out of ten headache every single day it never has gone away even to this day um and there's a reason for that but everyone was just kind of dismissing it as it's like in your head there's really nothing wrong with you you know you can't possibly have a headache a week, two weeks, three weeks, three years later, (laughs) you know, there must, you're just messed up. And and I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have a headache at the base of my skull that is just like a whoosh, 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 whoosh every day, every second of every day. That doesn't ever go away. And I never had headaches before. (laughs) So how can you possibly say this isn't a direct relationship? And You know, then I got became super depressed and anxious. And, and again, I was a really pretty happy-go-lucky kind of nurse, kind of fun, kind of, you know, I had life pretty well figured out and managed, but Mm. this all changed and I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't like do anything that required any kind of concentration. Counting change. I couldn't do it. I couldn't remember math. I couldn't remember how to do basic addition and subtraction like at all. Um, everything that I knew I had done in the past from being a casino dealer, a business owner, and then finally as a pediatric nurse, I couldn't do anymore. I mean, I was a shell of the human that everyone knew and accepted. So going from being the respected medical professional I was to now being the patient and being on the other side of that table, honestly, I thought I would be treated the same, whether I was working or not. I didn't like look at it as, Oh, well now you're injured. Now you're no longer a nurse. So now you don't have credibility. And like Sarah, I was really well-respected. Like I could Mm -hmm. go to any doctor in Western New York and I would be given professional courtesies. I would be talked to like a nurse. Instead, all that changed and, oh, you're just some middle-aged, crazy woman who there's nothing wrong with you. Your scans come back normal. Your uh, testing, your blood work looks fine. There's like nothing wrong with you and it's all in your head. And I'm like, I can't do basic cognitive skills. Like, yeah, I can't remember my words. I can't. And these drugs you keep giving me. And again, every day it was a new drug, a new doctor, a new thing. And I became crazy. I mean, my brain chemistry got jacked up. So what ended up happening was my husband trying to cheer me up. Um, I love Vegas. And so he took me to the Cosmopolitan Hotel. Like, we had done... 50 times before that. And it was like, I couldn't leave the room. I couldn't get out of the room at all. Like I couldn't, there was no gambling. There was no lights. There was just Nikki crying in the corner, ready to take her own life. And I literally looked over the balcony at the Cosmo. My husband had gone for a walk because he's like, you're ruining our vacation. You know, there's nothing here for me and And I was I genuinely was I was the most miserable human you've probably ever come across. Well, I just
0: couldn't function Wait, I mean when you look at that, it's like what a not only were you going through stuff physically, but the psychological hardship of people not knowing what was wrong with you, you knowing something's wrong, knowing you're getting judgment and and the way that women are treated when something's wrong with them. It's like, we they may as well just tell us all the time that we're dealing with hysteria because you know, if you were a guy, the treatment would have been different. 100%,
1: 100%. And I hate to pull the woman card, but you are absolutely correct. And so when I would make suggestions like, well, is it possible it's my neck? Is it possible it's something else other than my head? Like, I was hit like, no, 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 no you know, immediate dismissal. And then when I finally got a doctor to listen to me, it turned out it was my neck. Um, I have cervical instability in addition to a traumatic brain injury. And that was never talked about. That was never discussed. And so like I went for two years, literally through workers' compensation of everyone saying there's nothing really wrong with you. It's all in your head and them trying to settle and all this bullshit as a patient that I had to deal with, and I learned what a patient goes through. I yeah. learned so much. It was such a mind-blowing experience as I look back at it. Well,
0: and workman's and comp it- stuff, that's that's psychologically damaging. I, I've, I know so many people who have gone through claims and, like, the abuse you have to go through to prove that you're not doing you're well. You're injured. Yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And the constant paranoia that somebody's going to like, oh, God, if you post a smiling picture on Facebook, they're going to like, you know, deny your benefits that week because you smiled like, yeah, it's a real thing. And it's really total mind screwing with. It's really um, not nice. So back in Vegas, I'm looking over the balcony, ready to kill myself. I was on Cymbalta and. It truly was the worst drug I think I've ever been on, and I understand it helps some people for me, not so much mm-hmm. um, and I'm looking over the balcony and three stories below me is the pool area. This is not going to work out as I had hoped, meaning taking my life at that same time as I'm analyzing this, trying to figure out what to do next now the three like maybe I can go up to the fifteenth floor and figure out a way to get in somebody's you know what I mean like it's yeah. just this horrible mind cycle. A billboard came by at that exact time saying, get your medical marijuana card in Nevada today. Now, Sarah, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, my entire life, I'd grown up in the Just Say No era. Drugs are bad. Your brain on drugs with the frying egg in the frying pan, for those of <laughs> you who don't remember those. Yeah. Um, that was what I saw after that billboard came by those fry i and say to myself, Oh, good idea, Nikki, go ahead and fry your brain on drugs some more. And then it came by a second time. And the fact that I was out on the balcony at that exact time planning my death, I mean, since my brain injury, I kind of like, I feel things different. I notice things that just, I never noticed before. I guess I live more in the moment than I ever have. And there's no doubt in my mind the universe played an insane role in my life that day by showing that billboard by and it's just too weird to even go too deep on you know what I mean like people think I'm absolutely batshit crazy now but um literally I got my car I was able to go to a dispensary it was a that's another whole podcast it was just quite the adventure Mm -hmm. but I come back with various products and um I tried to like chews and tried different products and I didn't feel anything that went through first pass digestion and, and I mean I did get sleep so I mean something must have worked after I tried 50 different things <laughs> all it was <laughs> like, like I, I definitely had no uh dose experience and you know I had no idea what I was doing like none zero zip and um the next morning my husband said why don't you try one of those joints you've smoked joints before those have made you laugh and so I did I actually smoked one of those joints I had like two joints it was like a two-pack or something mm-hmm. and oh my god I got out of the room that day I went downstairs for breakfast I mean I always say dinner because it sounds better but it was really breakfast um <laughs> 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 as I really the now went down now it like it comes back but it, bottom line is I had a meal. I was able to come out of that room and go interact with people and humans for the first time. I expected to come back to New York and have the same access and have the same kind of experience. And well, guess what? You came back to New York in 2017. So this was like yeah. four months after the injury. So I come back to New York and I'm told, yeah, no, we don't have uh, cannabis for chronic pain. Like, no, you have to have like AIDS or stage four cancer or like you have to be dying pretty much to access this plant. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? So then I became hopeless again and go into more doctors. And anytime I ever said, Hey, I tried pot in Vegas and it really helped me then immediately. Oh, well you are well enough to go to Vegas. Then you must not, you know what I mean? It I was do. like that judgment. Was just brutal. Like you couldn't be honest with your healthcare provider. You had to like hide around everything. So, long story short, I became a medical cannabis refugee in Canada. I learned I live 15 minutes from the border in New York State to Canada. So I couldn't bring my medicine home, but I learned all about cannabis there. I learned what terpenes were, I learned what minor cannabinoids were, I learned what different methods of consumption were and then I figured out why I don't feel anything from edibles due to not having a gallbladder and not processing fat soluble things well due to weight loss surgery. So, but that took years to figure out, you know, and everyone was like, oh, you're just not using the right stuff and I'm like, dude, I just ate a thousand milligrams. Like I'm pretty sure I'm using the right stuff. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. And and that's why it's so important that we have many ways to be able to use cannabis because I've I you know I've worked with thousands of people and I've noticed I've seen that too. And now researchers are saying that it may it probably has something to do with our liver and the way we process things.
1: It does. It totally does. It's a cytochrome gene. It's the cytochrome P3460 or some shit. I don't know. P4,
0: number,
1: P450. Some, yeah, that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but that's a real thing. And, and like I took all these different endocanna DNA tests and all these various things trying to understand it. I took like seven of them and each one of them said something different. So I'm not sure the science is quite there yet for the uh, testing of the genes and the people. Because if you have like one gene that say causes Alzheimer's disease. Well, that means you can't have THC according to these gene tests. Right. And, and that's really not the case because again, it's all subjective and Mm -hmm. how I get what they're trying to do. And I hope one day it really is that great that you can literally swab someone's cheek and spit out a profile of what's going to work best for them. That would be amazing. But I personally didn't find that experience, but And just learning about the plant was so crazy to me. You know, I started journaling my experience to try and understand, well, why does use the term Alaskan Thunderfuck work, but the blueberry kush, like I'm in couch lock and can't move and I don't want to feel more brain injured. So how do you figure out what is in the one and not the other and so the, I found this super cool app in Canada called StrainPrint, right? And you're able to log your experience. They have all the back end COAs already in the app. So Blue Dream from Cana Farms versus Blue Dream from Terra Send are going to be two different products, right. and they have different chemical profiles. And trying to say, like finally, like the blacklist is publishing different things, saying strain names really mean nothing. I have been saying this for four years since I found this plant, like literally, and started to understand it. I'm like, how can you say that? Like, just because you get this seed in the mail that says it's blue dream at the end of the day, when you test that out, it's not going to be the same blue dream that you thought you were necessarily buying most likely, again, depending on how you grow it, the soil, the way you grow it. Well, and on the phenotypes,
0: I mean, it's, you know, that's, it's one of the things that I think is really hard for people to understand, because we've separated ourselves from the fact that it's a plant that grows because it's packaged, and it's dried, or it's an edible, And that's, you know, one thing that I've always had to explain to people when they've come into the stores, when I was still in the stores was, you know, one, if your favorite flower is gone, it means it's growing. And it's just not in, manufactured immediately in, you know, factory. Right. And just like how, you know, when we look at, you know, phenotypes and the way plants are, I mean, you know, I'm a product of my mother and father. Therefore, I'm not one or the other. I'm a little of everything. And when we, we see these different changes, I mean, even like when we're looking at clones, they're only you can only use a mother for so long until you have to renew. So even if you're getting something from the same grower, say, you know, your blue dream that you get from a grower you know, four months ago can be really different from what the COA is going to be on what they're cultivating right now.
1: Correct. Correct. And communicating that in a way people can understand that Mm -hmm. has been really a challenge for me. Totally. As the more I learn, the more I learn, the more I try and teach. Like I'm all about the whole slogan, learn and teach others. Kurt Robbins has that one. But, you know, it's true. Like the more we learn, the more we can teach. And Mm -hmm. we don't know what we don't know, you know? And like, I didn't know. I mean, I was a nurse. I wasn't taught about what an endocannabinoid system is. I sure as hell wasn't taught that this plant could be medicine, you know, that this plant can actually help treat and potentially put cancer into remission. I mean, we aren't taught any of that stuff. And that's kind of sad when you really think about it. Look at the at any ad on any tv for a drug you literally have 10 minutes of well you know 10 seconds i guess of of all the adverse effects that you know you're gonna undergo including like erectile dysfunction and and like loss of whatever and you know you might die and you know it's like 10 things my of, two
0: favorites are leaky stools and infection of the that's perineum good that's
1: good. <laughs> i'm always that's like good. That's, that's really one. random
0: <laughs> really random that's
1: really gross like you know and <laughs> but we can't have cannabis ads because like we might say side effects might include euphoria or you might get too tired you know you might get sleepy <laughs> you might you eat know? a box and, of cookies you might get a little hungry like these are our side effects not death not leaky stool not perineum tenderness you know <laughs> like that's just so messed up but yet our advertising hands are, you know, tied. And, right. and I understand we can't make false claims on things. But like, let's talk about Prevagen, okay? Like, like that's some bullshit going down, right? And that's right. on TV, you know? And But I can't say, you know, hey, the U.S. has a patent on neuroprotective qualities of cannabis, but we can't really talk about that because it's their patent. And so... We can't, as consumers or product purveyors or anything like that, even bring that up. But at the end of the day, because we're Schedule One, because it's proven by the DEA that, you know, we can't have access to this plant because of it's as dangerous and has no medicinal benefits, just like heroin and various other Schedule One drugs. I mean, to lump it in the same category is just, It blew my mind. It blew my mind to the point where my Adderall Schedule 3, like people snort Adderall, my friend. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) That's the way we're supposed to use it, but that is not, that to me is taking it a whole new level, right? And yet cannabis, a plant from the ground, is literally Schedule 1 and has, quote, no medicinal value. This plant saved my life, Sarah. If I didn't find cannabis when I did, not only would I have not had any hope because that travel between the US and Canada, I learned so much and I started connecting with all these smart people that you know, knew so much about the plant and Canada was much more normalized and I learned so much. But then when the pandemic hit, OMG, like my border closed. I couldn't access my medicine anymore. I had to like learn what the legacy market was. I had to learn how to like and no one knew what terpenes are in the product like right like you literally what's that like oh it's high it's, it's it'll get you messed up i'm like i don't want to be messed up i need to know if it has limonene and pinene I'm like what that that's nothing i don't know it's is. do you want sativa or indica yeah. i'm like no dude no i don't know it's about the effects it's about the effects it's the, the essential oils of the plant i need to know more yeah, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, like these are legacy growers and they don't even, you know, I'm not saying all because absolutely that's not the case. But, there are some who like oh, to nerd I out, but it. I <laughs> grew it It's
0: good. <laughs> or or they haven't grown it. And it's their friend who's like pushing their roaster bags and stuff. And they're like, I don't know, just smell it and see what you like. <laughs> <laughs> I- which, you know, hey, it's it's like there's, I think that that's one of the things that really, you know, is a challenge too, is that there are some really talented people in the legacy market, and we're not making it really easy for people to transition.
1: No, we are not. I'm in New York State, and we are really trying to help the legacy growers, and mm-hmm. I'm part of Americans for Safe Access. Uh, we're creating a patient advisory council to make sure that our medical patients don't get forgotten in this transition. um, I'm a huge proponent of access and education and actually being able to speak in a way that others want to listen. Right. Like I don't wanna talk at people, I wanna talk with people. And that's a huge thing because I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know what I was doing. So I try not to judge those that aren't at the same education level or experience level as myself. But when people start getting, I know everything. I'm a master grower. Do you have any idea how many master growers I've met? No, there's not that many of you. Like <laughs> you aren't all master growers just because you've been growing pot in your basement for two weeks. You know what I mean? Like I do. I there do. There are master growers, but that title is like reserved for the, the elite. <laughs> like that's like a it level. Is.
0: Like of experience, It is. And it's one of those things where I, I just feel like, you know, there are no experts. We're always learning. Like when, you know, I have, I've got over 18,000 hours of experience with human beings and cannabis under my mouth. People will be like, oh, that's Sarah. She's a cannabis expert. I'm like, I, you know what? There are no experts. I am an educator and a perpetual student. And that's, you know, where we need to go because we know certain things and things change. Like, uh, there are things that we saw as fact in cannabis education that researchers touted that we've disproved in recent years, or there are variables. And when we're looking at this, like, we are walking chemistry experiments, and especially, and this is why I'm just so, I love talking with you about this. It's like, our neurodiversity comes into play with how we're going to react, because You know, when I always, I tell companies, don't name your products after qualities because one person's calm is another person's hell on wheels.
1: Absolutely. 100%. I can't stand that. Or um, like in New Hampshire, I think it is, they don't have any quote strain names. They just have, you know, a profile, which while I like it, I have no idea. Like, I mean, lots of cheeses work great for me. So, I mean, to have that knowledge that it's a cheese derivative is sometimes helpful if I don't have the COA, right? Right. Like, everybody doesn't know what COA is going to work best for them, right? But we kind of have an idea based on strain names because that's all we've kind of had before that,
0: you know? Right. And, like, for me, anything that has, like, that is a cheese or a cheese cross – Makes me terribly depressed. Wow. Interesting. So, so know, interesting. Different chemical cocktails in our bodies. And it's it's an it's a really cool thing to learn about. It is, it is. And that's just interesting
1: because I mean I treat my cognitive function, my anxiety, depression, and my chronic pain with cannabis. Those are the kind of the three subtypes of symptoms that I have that I've <laughs> kind of learned what works um but yeah i mean the cheese seems to really help with my anxiety and depression so that's just really interesting that you have the total opposite effect so we can't name products like that the calm and the sleep and the like really yeah um staying very interesting
0: we have to have deeper conversations about like what we were talking about before we started recording like how terpenes you know feel with us as individuals, or even when we're looking at cannabinoid counts, because like, you know, we joke in the industry about CBD, that it's kind of like the dad in my big fat Greek wedding with the Windex, like it does everything. But, you know, we aren't having enough conversations about the fact that it interacts with cytochrome P450. That even though it's a very small amount of people who have a sensitivity to CBD, it's more than we thought before because we're getting more people reporting back now that we're having more conversations. But, you know, where CBD for some people is really good for anxiety, I'm built for it. I love CBD. But I also know people who get really anxious off of it or get like a general malaise. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, and so...
1: I get tired of the false accusations and like, you know, an isolated compound is just simply not going to be as effective as a whole plant, meaning the whole thing. I mean, when we smoke cannabis, it's the fastest in and the fastest out of our system. At least that's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. And I prefer to smoke it. It's the only way that it medicates me. But yet it's not always convenient to smoke a joint. So what do you do in that case? Then you have to like have vapes, right? And vapes don't smell as bad. you can like be discreet. But I'd love to feel the effects of, you know, the cytochrome P450 thing. Because, you know, clearly I'm missing those effects. And I would love to have a longer lasting relief. So I didn't have to smoke as often. But We're not at the point for Nikki Lawley where we found that perfect mix. Um, The WANA Wana rapid onset gummies that I tried in Boston, they worked very well. The exact same quote product in Canada did not work the same. So even though we have multi-state operators in multiple jurisdictions, what one produces doesn't necessarily mean in the next state or country, it's going to work the same way. And that's something we're not really talking about either. Right. And, and that's a big deal, right? Like you expect if I get Xanax in Canada or I get Xanax in Buffalo, it should be the same product. If I get blue dream in Buffalo and I get blue dream in Canada, well, they're not going to be the same. (laughs) So But educating people to understand that and then learn why it's not the same. Like, again, having these journaling apps that have that back-end COA is so important, and it's important for patients to understand what they're using and why it works. Right. And that's the only thing I found effective, at least for me and learning about the plan.
0: Yeah, I think it can be really frustrating for people to, to know that when you're moving from country to country, even state to state, the products change and it part of it is you know policy policy Mm -hmm. dictates how things can be made and how they can be sourced and it's not necessarily based on fact and you hear me say this over and over again but when I've traveled to other states especially states that are establishing their policies and I'll go into lecture they're based on state culture which is very strong and rich and it's really funny when we're all in the same country but each state is a very distinct culture and then stigma, because when we're looking at the government and cannabis policy, you know, you, you, you hear the saying that, you know, the wise person surrounds himself with experts. We don't see that in government policy. It's more about the loudest voice and the deepest pockets.
1: Unfortunately, you're so right. You're so right. The deepest pocket plays a real role real role and who's playing in the sandbox with who right. uh, in the government level you know what i'm saying like and what's scary is these are the people that are making these policies they're not patients they're not experts in the industry they're a political figurehead that has been appointed by another fig- figurehead <laughs> to just get it off their plate to just you know get rid of it you know solve it fix it whatever you got to do
0: i don't want to know anything more about it Right. And that, oh, I was, that's what's happening here, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting to see, like, in states where there's a lot of stigma around it and people are against it, but mo- more people are wanting these programs. It's really interesting to see who gets to actually manage the programs and put them together, because it almost seems like in some cases they give it to the person who's against cannabis. So they can say, see, we're giving it to somebody who's not you know, pro cannabis, so they're going to deal with it, you know, dotting every I, crossing every T when actually they miss the message. Yeah, I'm, you know, I understand that you don't want to have somebody who has, you know, owned stock in several MSOs probably influencing your policy at that level, because it'll be biased, but you have to have somebody who will actually talk to experts, identify people who you know, may or may not have skin in the game, but they're giving you good, solid information that's coming from a good place that can actually be proven.
1: That's all. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about credibility. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. If I'm not surrounded by people with different experiences and different knowledge levels, then I'm in the wrong room. Um, patients need to have a voice in this industry they need to have a voice in the policy because when we go to an adult use state when we change the law from just a medical only state to an adult use state we're getting forgotten like new york state is planning literally on eliminating the pharmacists in the medical program that's scary they're the only healthcare provider that knows really anything about the plant because once the doctor writes that prescription Seven out of 10 of them absolutely have never been to a dispensary and have no idea what the plant is, what they're even prescribing. They literally leave it all to the pharmacist. So now we're going to have these 10 multi-state operators that we have in New York. We have 38 dispensaries in the entire state of New York. That is just grossly underdone. But now these 10 MSOs are going to be able to launch three more adult use stores in their name so that they'll have more coverage which is fine but as a patient if i go to and i'm not picking on any mso in particular at all here totally. but i'm saying if i go to the MedMen store in buffalo that's always been medical and then i see a MedMen store now in rochester i'm going to assume i'm going to get the same service level of a pharmacist and all the help that I need, but in reality, that could just be the uh, rec store or the adult use store. And I don't know if that level of service is going to be the same for medical patients if they're doing both, if that makes sense. Like how are they going to identify the store, the, the medical store versus the adult use store? And is the adult use store going to be able to sell medical products and vice versa? You know, there's like so many questions about where this is going. And I just don't think they have thought it through well enough to think about the patients. And someone like myself, who has become reliant on cannabis as medicine, I just want to have consistent access to the services and the, the availability of the information the way I've gotten used to as a medical patient.
0: Right. And I think, you know, one thing we have to address, too, is You know, we want to put it in neat boxes like adult use and medicinal, but it's the same thing. And in both cases, no matter what box you put it in, it's a substance that creates a reaction in the body. And I think that having the pharmacist on hand is really useful, except for in cases, and I've talked to colleagues in other states that have had pharmacists on staff, and they're like, yeah, they know there's stuff around, you know, they went to school for but it's largely like a place filler or a figurehead in there where they're not really learning a lot about it. Because, like, you can have, like, I always tell people, you come to my class, you read research, you get a really good book on cannabis education. What you're getting is an overview of how the majority of human beings respond. And for all that, you will always have anomalies. And that is found through talking to thousands upon thousands of people. Because I've been doing this for over a decade. So I've talked to thousands of people. I've had four people in that time have really unpleasant experiences on 30 to 1 CBD to THC. How would you get that in a research pool? Like you'd really need to have like a large body of people that you're talking to. And so the way we're going to learn more about this is actually by collecting information from the general public. And when we're looking at, you know, medicinal products versus, you know, adult use products, what we should really be doing is considering the dosage. Because in California, when, you know, we had medical, we had 215, that's when I started when part of my training was, you know, learning what happens when the Fed come, put your hands in the air, stay quiet, you know, tell your patient to do exactly what you do and everything's okay, you know, (laughs) to now when we're in, you know, the adult use market and people were afraid of medicinal going away, it may be in from a policy standpoint, but adult use actually gave people greater access to use it for symptom management. Because we found people were coming in that didn't before this want to deal with a recommendation, didn't think they'd qualify for it, didn't want to talk to their doctor about it, but they want help with anxiety or they want help with like sleep. And so then they come in and then they ask, But then you're looking at your dispensaries and your companies and your culture of education. Is it a formula retail dispensary where the people behind the bar don't really know a lot about the products and they can just say, oh, that's good. That's not good. Blah, blah, blah. Have you tried CBD? Or do you have a company that has a rich educational foundation where like For my company, people actually come see us and want to work for us because they know that. But, you know, at Apothecarium, we have a really rich training program where not only are they trained thoroughly before they get on the floor, but it's seen as an apprenticeship. And we identify our senior, you know, our, uh, you know, I hate the word expert, but our senior experts in different fields. Like somebody will know more about concentrate, somebody will know more about tincture, somebody will have worked with, you know, People who are going through certain symptoms, they've been able to successfully help. And it's more about, and because, like, going back to what we were talking about before, that you can't really, we're not healthcare professionals. We can't be treating people, but we can empower people with information so they can track what's going on with them and they can let us know whether it was a positive experience or a negative experience. And chances are, if that person has been behind the bar for a long time, they see a pattern and they've encountered people who have gone through the same thing, so they can make recommendations. They're not diagnosing anything, but they're able to help them figure out what's, you know, what avenue they should try next. And just creating that safe container for experimentation is a very empowering and freeing thing for people. I remember when I was going through cancer... And going into a dispensary, and it was before apothecarium existed, I felt like I was doing something bad. Everybody was really Mm -hmm. nice, but it also wasn't an environment where I felt like I was free to ask questions. They were very nervous about how I look because I look a lot different than I do today. When you're going through chemo, you kind of – I was a little wrecked. (laughs) And, you know, it's – there was no conversation about dosage or effects or – anything like that and i remember the first time going to see my oncologist i had half of a really strong drink and it hit me when i was there and i just looked at him and we were just going to talk about chemo and i was like i i can't do this today i gotta go home you know and i just never wanted anyone else to have to go through that of course you have to have that conversation of when you use cannabis you know You can, depending on what's going on with you in a certain day and with your hormone levels or everything, you can react differently. Or you could accidentally take more than you need. And just knowing that it might be uncomfortable, but you're safe. like Setting people up for success with their expectations. Or even just having the conversation, even though we create our own endogenous cannabinoids not everybody can tolerate phytocannabinoids. And if you can't, it's okay. Like even being able to tell somebody that because you if somebody has one bad experience, or they don't tolerate it. A lot of times we see the world through our own lens. And we think that that's the correct lens that everyone else should see it. in. so if somebody has a bad experience, you can go from somebody being neutral or okay with cannabis to being against it. And then that creates its own problems because we really need to see that we're all very different and what works for you may not work for me. And if I, you know, it doesn't work for me, I can make the choice of not using it, but I don't have to tell somebody else not to use it. Right, right. I mean, that's why, you know,
1: different pharmaceuticals exist. I mean, one person that has depression might do really well on Wellbutrin, the other one might be suicidal, same with Cymbalta or that's why there's multiple drugs. That's why there's multiple products for people to try. I just wish our natural products would be tried as more of a first line treatment rather than as a last resort. In my case, it was a last resort. And so I'm super passionate about sharing my story because I thought like they did. Yeah, (laughs) I was one of them. You know, if you told me your kid was using cannabis for seizures, I would have said, yeah, time to call Child Protective Services and take your kid away from you. I mean, Like, that would not have been cool with me. If a guy at a party had a joint and offered it to me, I would not have been in the same frame of mind. I would have been like, okay, I'll try it. You know what I mean? It's different when you're a medical professional and you're responsible for the health and safety of your patients. And so I was licensed, and so I couldn't risk losing my license. Luckily, I never had a patient share that with me, so I never had to be put in that position. But Mm -hmm. I've heard it happening multiple times, you know, in other states and other jurisdictions, and it's really sad because we don't know what we aren't taught. So, you know, again, I would have been just as guilty. So knowing that my story might help another patient or help another provider, like, look at things differently is really why I share it so often. And people really are interested in following the journey. They're not looking perfect people. They're looking for people who how they deal with their imperfections and how we can make a difference and help others in a way that they can understand.
0: You're, You're a perfect example of conversation is normalization. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that's why I'm
1: getting involved with Americans for Safe Access because so many people have literally commented on my posts or sent me private messages that Your voice is powerful and it's making a difference. You need to get more at the federal level and more normalizing the conversations on mainstream media. It's one thing to talk to all pro-cannabis people. It's a whole other thing to normalize the conversation around the conservatives that have never thought of cannabis as medicine, or they think God is gonna send them to hell because they smoke a joint, You know, when in reality they're suffering horribly from cancer and they've lost all hope in life. Isn't it better to help them than to just continue and perpetuate the stigma and suffering?
0: It's true. Well, you know, cannabis prohibition is a prime example of spin. I mean, it was was due to greed. It was due to competition. And when people actually find out what went on around that, they get really upset. But it's still happening today because we see you know, people getting upset about the high prices of cannabis and they blame the companies and they blame the dispensaries. And that's when this is a conversation that we need to have more and more of is that the only way that these policies are going to change is when policymakers see us. Because even though we're in the time of normalization, there's still a certain stigma and there's certain stereotype that people see cannabis users through. So this lens that these are people who aren't politically active and if they are they're total wackos and they're unmotivated and i always tell people spend an afternoon in my waiting room and you'll see people from all walks of life so when somebody would say you know sarah this is so expensive and it's because the greed of your dispensary and of you know of the brands and i say no this has to do with policy and taxation so what we need to do it's on you to get active these policymakers depend on us and our votes for their jobs let your policymakers know that you know you pay taxes you're a contributing member of society you use cannabis and you vote we really need to activate people it's time to come out of the cannabis closet and talk about it there are way more of us than you could ever know and, you know, when I, when I go into a session, I'm in a suit and heels and it cracks me up on social media And sometimes people will say, I bet she doesn't even use cannabis. It's like, okay, that means that I win because that means I can go into these other places and talk to people and they're not stereotyping me and discounting what I have to say. And there are right. so many of us out there and we have to work together to make this happen and cre- and, and demand better policies and to stop this, the policymaking to, you know, say, oh, well, you know, police force you're against cannabis. Well, We'll give you this many, much of the taxes if you say it's okay. Well, no, because guess what, police department, you're actually saving money because you're not going to have to be arresting people around this. Let's take that money and put it towards. Let's let's not only put it back in the industry to create more jobs and better products, but it's you know cannabis isn't a panacea. It's not going to cure everything in a state budget, but we can use it for hey, better schools. Maybe that teach critical thought. How about that? How about that?
1: (laughs) How about that? How about a little neurodiversity education? Exactly. You know how about like. We educate and teach instead of just assume and judge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And really like yeah. get into. <laughs> yeah. Because we're missing so much. I mean, I think about the education that I had when I was in school. It was pretty good. Um, but my mom's was better. She had soci- sociology and Latin. I mean, not that everybody uses Latin, but I mean, as an example, like, you know, being able to actually use it to enrich our communities, to create stronger, healthier communities, and also okay, have enough. For, yeah. And to create sustainability, because this is not the models that they've created for the cannabis industry in each of the states are not sustainable. I mean, I went to Oklahoma, and <laughs> I was like, Whoa, it's kind of a free for all there. But it's kind of it's interesting, because you have so many dispensaries, there are a lot of closed storefronts that were dispensaries. But they're kind of looking at it from a free market sort of way, like, if you have a good dispensary and you have a good product, you're going to survive. If you're doing it just right. to make money, you're probably not going to. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to really look at that. And and like you were saying, like, I can't believe that in New York, COAs are proprietary. That is, that's That's not safe access. No, not even a little. So many people have allergic
1: reactions potentially. So many people are expecting one formulation and then all of a sudden it gets changed. I mean, there are countless stories of this and we need to do better for medical patients. Our hemp CBD products have to have COAs accessible to the public. Why is our medical program like proprietary
0: information? That's just wrong. It is. It's not safe. Well, you know, (coughs) you and I could talk about this all day. But what I now, <laughs> what I want to know is what are you what are you working on now, and what are you excited about in the future?
1: So, super excited about Americans for Safe Access. Um, we're creating a patient advisory board in New York, and I'm the chair of that. And I'm super excited to hopefully have some real influence on our cannabis control board. I've sent numerous messages to them. I've reached out numerous times, and I can't seem to get really any kind of real response other than a canned one um that's like an auto email so i'm really hoping to you know intimately bond with these guys so we can make some policy changes and keep patients having safe access including coa access Mm -hmm. um i'm also working on launching my own product formulation and brand nikki and the plant that's going to be treating chronic pain anxiety depression and cognitive function because those are the three things that I still suffer from so. <clears throat> trying to help patients navigate cannabis in a way that makes it easier with patients created products. Patient ugh. products created by a patient for patients. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, is literally what my mission is, and destigmatizing and continuing to share the story, continuing to speak um i've been asked to be a speaker at many conventions but quite honestly the expense of the travel and the all the ancillary little things just add up too fast so i'm looking at different um alignments with different companies to kind of help with those expenses but to also magnify their message when it's a quality company that aligns with my values i think it's really a perfect fit because Mm -hmm. there's certain products that i really believe in and i believe in that can help people and i'm super picky and super you know fussy as far as what claims i make or what i suggest and i just have found a real niche in being able to help others and i feel like i'm making a much bigger difference now as a patient advocate than i ever did as a nurse as a casino dealer as anyone else I was prior to brain injury. Um, I feel everything happens for a reason, and I'm super blessed to be here and share this experience and hopefully help others to help remove the stigma and help them come out of the cannabis closet. So super excited. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, feel free to follow me on any of the social media channels. I'm Mickey, Nikki, L A W L E Y. You can find me on Google and follow me on all social platforms, including LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, I just I'm so glad you're doing this because we need all hands on deck to educate people. There's there's so many ways to educate. There are so many people learn from people that they feel comfortable with. And you're just you're you're so warm and knowledgeable and passionate and i just feel like that resonates for so many people especially around the normalization and not being afraid to do some experimentation and see what works well for them i you know there's there's so many people who need help and there's a lot of incorrect information out there so it's up to us as educators to be able to give people a realistic view of what cannabis can be and that education helps inform them when they're advocating for policy or, you know, looking at, like, if that if there's a dispensary opening in their neighborhood, whether they'll, you know, be for it or against it or in the community meetings be asking the right questions or just not listening. Right. You know, and we really right. need more of that.
1: So thank you. Right. And only we can change it. You know what I mean? Like, if we stay silent, nothing's going to change. Right. So, our voice matters. Patient stories matter. Your story matters. Don't be ashamed of it. Raise it. Yeah. You know, elevate that conversation and help others find the plan. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to help create a happier
0: planet. You know, yeah. finding the plant and finding your place. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when people realize that a lot of the things that they've heard about cannabis is wrong... Going back to critical thought, it really helps. It's a study in how so many things in our world are very much different than how they appear. That critical thought is really important that us being in touch with our bodies and grounding and seeing that everything we put in our bodies creates a reaction, perhaps using cannabis as you know, a model or a way to practice that is, is very rich. And there's just, there are so many things that we can do with Canvas to change the way the world is, how we do business, you know, being, you know, we're in a land of capitalism, but how can we be more compassionate and give back and have, you know, more community benefit through our work and support companies that do things like that, voting with our dollars and, you know. Getting these black and brown communities that have been impacted by the war on drugs, helping them get a leg up and, you know, leveling the playing field for everybody so there can be healing from all the trauma that's happened in these past few decades when we have been putting people in jail for having cannabis or growing it or whatever that might be. And there's just a really and I know I sound a little hippy-dippy, but there's a real chance to like change the way we look at the world by using this as a model. Yes, you're a hundred percent right. And cannabis
1: allows me to live in the moment. If I constantly look back at the things that I can't do, I'm depressed. If I constantly look ahead at, you know, what am I gonna how am I gonna pay bills? How am I gonna do this? I'm constantly anxious. If I just live in the moment and focus on the here and now. That's what cannabis allows me to do. It it allows me to enjoy this conversation instead of worrying about, you know, what am I going to do after this? What am I going to do later? Yeah. Cannabis allows you to live in the moment. And we need to, like, do a lot more of that, living in the moment. Yeah, we sure do.
0: I mean, tomorrow hasn't come. Yesterday is gone. Let's enjoy where we Back. are. Well, Nikki, yeah. it's, it's been a pleasure. I'm just so glad that we were able to finally connect And I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do in the future and also continuing the conversation with you. Sounds great, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And for those of you who are listening out there, remember Planted is twice a month. You can listen to it wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We are on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Planted is there. And if you like it, leave a review. Turn a friend on to it. Conversation is normalization. And remember, it's a crazy world out there. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And most of all, stay curious. Until next time, take care, everyone.